0: Well, this morning we are going to jump back into the book of Romans, and we are covering this section from verses 14 through 21, and we called this section Christian distinctives, things that make Christians distinct from other people, other people in the world, other religions. There are things about being a Christian that are different than being other things, other religions, other peoples, and so we're looking at this set of Christian distinctives, and Uh, We've come to verse 16 of this chapter, Romans chapter 12, verse 16, and so look there with me and look what Paul says. He says, "'Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation.'" And we looked last week about how these four statements sort of summarize the social life of Christians. And what is it that Christians ought to be? Well, these four statements, they summarize the way that Christians should function toward one another. And you remember, not last week, two weeks ago, because Gus preached last week, but you you may or may not remember, but we saw the first three last time in verse 16. The first one is equality, that we are to treat everyone as equals. Every single person who is a true believer is the same. There's no hierarchy in the Christian church. There's not some that are better and some that are worse. There's no higher and lower. We are all equals in Christ. There's no clickishness. Second, we're to be conscientiously aware of our own weaknesses and failings. None of us has it all together, do we? Uh, the, the church is not a cruise ship. The church is a hospital. We are all broken people, and all of us need help. And we ought to be conscientiously aware of that and not to think of ourselves as better than others. And third, we are to be mature enough to look out for others, to actively seek those who are on the outside, who may be on the fringe, who may seem like they're alone, and to seek them out and to pursue them, knowing that it doesn't matter what people think of me, but that those people need the body of Christ, and so our maturity should push us to bring people closer to Christ instead of sort of hiving off in our own groups. So those are the first three, and this morning we come to the last one in verse 16, which is a simple phrase, do not be wise in your own estimation. Now again, as I said, these are Christian distinctives, and they're the things that make us different from the world, and for that reason, these go against our fleshly instincts. They go against what we naturally would want to do in our flesh, and so uh, for that reason, they're really difficult to do. And this one is particularly that way. Do not be wise in your own estimation. What I want to do is look this morning at what that means. What does it mean to be wise in our own estimation? And then I want to look for marks of this sin pattern in us, and then we're going to talk about how to kill that kind of pride. And so look with me at point one, comparisons and trauma, comparisons and trauma. Now, being wise in our own estimation is an interesting idea. The Bible talks a lot about this, actually, and it's never complimentary The Bible never says good things about people who are wise in their own thinking. In fact, look back in Proverbs chapter 26 with me. Proverbs chapter 26. The book of Proverbs is wisdom statements from Solomon. Solomon, the king of Israel, he was taught by his father, uh, David, and he was the wisest man who's ever lived. And he gives us statements of wisdom about about just life and principles to live by. And, And the book is full of really, really pithy comments. But all the way through the book, there's one person that you don't want to be, and that person is the fool. You don't want to be a fool. All the way through the book, Solomon uses it 99 times, actually, in the book, and every single time is not complimentary. He is not pleased with fools. In fact, look at chapter 26, verse 3, starting there. He says, "'A whip is for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools.'" Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you will be like him. Answer a fool as his folly deserves that he not be wise in his own eyes. He cuts off his own feet and drinks violence who sends a message by the hand of a fool. Like the legs which are useless to the lame, so is a proverb in the mouth of fools." Like one who binds a stone in a sling, so is he who gives honor to a fool. Like a thorn which falls into the hand of a drunkard, so is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like an archer who wounds everyone, so is he who hires a fool or who who hires those who pass by. Like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Now, there's a bunch of old world sort of pictures there, none of which are complimentary, right? And if you had any question, dogs and vomit should make it clear, right? But look at verse 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, that is not a good place to be. It's not a a good place to be. And so when we talk about being wise in our own eyes, this is a serious thing. This is not pleasing to God, and it is not a good place for us to be, even from a pragmatic perspective. Now, maybe if you're astute, you might be thinking, what does this have to do with the social life of Christians? Just wisdom in my own eyes, what does that have to do with the social life that we participate in in the body of Christ? But Paul puts this phrase in this section that deals with how we deal with one another, and I think the reason should be relatively obvious. Us being wise in our own eyes is related to how we view ourselves in comparison to other people, isn't it? The way that we think of ourselves is in comparison to how we think of other people. We look at everyone else and we say, compared to everyone else, I am what? Wise. That's literally what is being said in this phrase. They've, uh, this person, a person who is wise in their own eyes, they've looked around the world, they've evaluated the wisdom of others, and they have concluded that they are the wisest. Of course, no one actually says this. I'm the wisest person I know because we don't say those kinds of things. If we said that, we would be social pariahs, but all of us have this in us. We all have this tendency to think that we're right, don't we? I mean, if we didn't think that we were right, we would change our minds because no one likes to be wrong, and so if you know you're wrong, you change your mind, and so all of us think that we're right in some capacity. All of us do. Now, we might say there are some wiser people around, right? Right? but they're not very close to me. (laughs) I'm the wisest person of those who are around me. And so this is something that relates to our social life in the body of Christ, how we view ourselves in comparison to other people, to other Christians who we are with or who we interact with in the body of Christ and evaluating ourselves as more wise than them. And this comparison, this type of comparison will always lead to trauma, won't it? Comparing ourselves with others will always lead to trauma because anytime we compare ourselves with one another favorably, we create distinctions in the body of Christ. And when we begin to create distinctions in the body, what happens is that we begin to act in selfishness. We act in selfishness. James, John John read it for us this morning in James chapter three. He says, where selfishness and evil ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. When we start to evaluate ourselves and say, I'm higher than these people in wisdom, what happens? There's disorder, there's evil, there's trauma, there's pain. And this kind of trauma happens when we begin to think of ourselves as higher than others, as wiser than other people. Now, maybe right now you're thinking to yourself, I'm not wise in my own eyes, I'm humble. But just for a moment, think on that, right? Right? What have you said when you've said that? You've actually confirmed that this is for you, right? In fact, any statement besides, you know, this might be true of me is probably a dangerous sentence. And so what we're gonna do is look at some of the ways that the Bible defines being wise in our own eyes. And our goal here is to see this. Listen, friends, we are all broken people and all of us have pride. Every single one of us in this room needs to hear this, myself included. And so, how do we understand being wise in our own eyes? And this is point two on your outline, marks of conceit. Marks of conceit. Now, again, the Bible is full of statements on this. It's full of statements on this. But I want to look at just five, and so look with me at point A, unbiblical, unbiblical. Now, conceited people, people who are wise in their own eyes, are often unbiblical. They're often unbiblical. There are a number of reasons for this, but I want you to look back at Proverbs chapter 3. Now again, we're going to look at a number of verses. I want to show you these things in the text itself. Look at Proverbs chapter 3. You may know this chapter because it's it's a chapter that we often see on fridge magnets and on embroideries on the wall. But in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, we have these beautiful verses. Solomon says, "'Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight.'" And then he says this, do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not be wise in your own eyes. What is Solomon saying? He's saying that rather than trusting ourselves, rather than trusting our own wisdom, rather than leaning on our own understanding of the world, what ought we to lean upon? We ought to lean upon God and his ways and his understanding. And if we listen to and heed what God says, we will be wise. And if we think that we are wise and we turn away from what he says, we will be unwise. In other words, don't be wise in your own eyes, but heed what the Bible says. In verse 7, it says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. We'll come back to that again, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? wisdom. And so we must fear God if we're to be wise. And the way to fear God is to heed what the Bible says. It's to heed what the Bible says. When we're wise in our own eyes, we turn away from God's wisdom in the Word and we begin to trust ourselves more than Him. And when we do this, we refuse to submit to Him. So let me just ask you, are there areas in your life where where the Lord has clearly given you direction in the Word, but you are unwilling to submit to it? You don't submit to the Bible. You hear it and you refuse to submit to it. Are there areas where the Bible speaks but you close your ears? And if there are, then most likely, most likely you are wise in your own eyes. Look at us look at the second one, point B, opinionated. Opinionated. Now we want to be careful. It's not wrong to have opinions, especially when they're based on God's word. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But being dogmatically opinionated about areas that the Bible does not speak is a dangerous place to be. Notice what Solomon says in Proverbs 26, 16. Turn there with me. Proverbs 26, 16. Solomon says this. He says, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. (laughs) Now, what's he saying there? What's a sluggard? A sluggard is a lazy person, a person who doesn't actually think about things or study things. He just sort of throws ideas out, right? Throwing them out like pearls of wisdom, but he isn't willing to hear the wisdom of actually wise people. What's what's happening? This type of person won't pause and close his mouth and take two minutes to think through what he's saying. He just shares his opinions, and he thinks somehow that those opinions are more valuable than the opinions of seven wise men who can give a careful answer. This type of person digs in his heels and argues, even with those who are wise. He pushes back in opinionated fury because he believes that he is right. And it's not a person who is right, it's a person who's a sluggard, it's a person who hasn't actually thought to the bottom of all these things, who hasn't studied faithfully the word of God. It's a person who just has opinions. And so let me ask you this. Do you have strong opinions about matters that are not mentioned in the Bible? Do you have strong opinions about issues that are not biblical? And are you happy to share them with anyone, anyone who's around you at any given moment? Or have you learned to hold your tongue and listen to those who are wiser? My mom used to tell us a poem, a wise old owl sat in an oak The more he saw, the less he spoke. The less he spoke, the more he heard. Why can't we all be like that old bird? That's the truth, right? That's the truth. And so people who are wise in their own eyes are unbiblical and they're opinionated. There's more. Look at point C. They're obstinate. They're obstinate. Turn over to James 3 again. James chapter 3. In James chapter 3, he's giving a description of wisdom that comes from above, God's wisdom, right? And God's wisdom is not our wisdom. It's not the wisdom that we have in our own eyes. It's from Him, it's coming down from above. And He describes that wisdom. And in verse 17, He says this But the wisdom from above is first pure. What is that? It's innocent, it's clean. Heavenly wisdom is innocent and clean. It's righteous in that sense. And then he says it's pure, then it's peaceable. The, the wisdom that comes from above desires to produce peace between people. It doesn't desire to produce separation and war. It desires to produce unity and peace. And then third, notice what he says. It is gentle. God's wisdom is pure, peaceable, gentle. It's kind, it's soft, it's tender. God's wisdom is like that. But the fourth one should stick us here. The word is reasonable. It's reasonable. That word in Greek is a compound word. It comes from two words that mean easy and persuade. The wisdom that's from above is easily persuaded. It's easy. It's willing to yield. It's open to hearing. There's a willingness to be instructed. It's teachable. It's teachable. A person who is not like this is obstinate, They're unteachable. They don't listen to their teachers. They refuse to hear from anybody else because they already have all the answers. They don't need anyone to teach them. They're there already. Another word that's a synonym is stubborn. (laughs) A person who digs in their heels, who says, no, uh, this is my opinion. I refuse to let go of it. But I like the word obstinate because it means that it's a person who's just impossible to appeal to. They can't be appealed to. This is what James is describing here. A person who is easily persuaded is walking in God's wisdom. They're open to hearing from other people. They're willing to listen because they know they don't have all the answers. And they're open to hearing answers from others on the outside. But a person who's wise in their own eyes is implacable. They're stubborn. They they refuse to turn from their opinions. They won't be convinced. So let me ask you this. Are you easy to appeal to? Are you easy to appeal to? When someone comes to you and maybe disagrees with you, are you open to hearing what they're saying and willing to consider it? It doesn't mean you change your opinion, but you're at least willing to hear it and to consider it. Or in the conversation, do you use the time that they're talking to formulate your next answer so that you aren't even listening to what they're saying, you're just constructing the next argument that will be best heard in the conversation? Are you easy to persuade? And so... People that are wise in their own eyes, they're unbiblical. They're also obstinate. And the fourth one here in point D is that they are self-willed, self-willed. This term is closely related to being obstinate. In fact, it's used in one of the elder qualifications in Titus chapter 1 verse 7, being self-willed. An elder cannot be self-willed, in fact. But obstinance deals with the inner person and self-will deals with the decision-making that happens on the outside, not not just the internal, but the external. This type of person is a person who's wise in their own eyes, and they just act based on their own opinions. They, they, they act without even thinking often. They don't seek wisdom from other people. They just do. They just do whatever it is that comes in front of them. Peter talks about people here. He uses the same word in Second 2 Peter 2:10 for people who revile angels. They revile angels. They don't know what they're doing. They just revile angels. They're daring and self-willed, Peter says, and they don't tremble when they ought to tremble. A person who's wise in their own eyes is like this. They just act. There's no reason for why they do it, and they don't seek counsel from anybody else. They just do things, and that's okay with them because they've obviously thought to the very bottom of everything. They don't need anybody else's opinions. Turn to Proverbs chapter 12 with me. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 15, Solomon describes this man. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, look what he says. It says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. <laughs> what is this? This is a person who thinks he knows the right thing to do and then acts A wise person pauses and hears and seeks out counsel, seeks out wisdom from others because they know they don't always know the right answers. They don't know the best way to go. They're not certain of themselves. They're certain only of God's word and so they seek out those who can help them understand God's word and be directed by it. And the word that's here in verse 15, where it says, a wise man is he who listens to counsel, it's not just to hear it and then ignore it, right? It's the same word that's used in Deuteronomy 6.4 for the shema, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's to hear and to obey it, to listen, to take it into yourself and say, that is wisdom. I need to hear it. I need to receive this into my soul. This person can help me understand A person who is wise in his own eyes refuses all of that. They don't want to hear anybody else's opinion. And when someone comes, they refuse it and they just rush out to act. But a person who is humble seeks out and listens to the counsel of others. He doesn't cut people off in conversations. He pauses after someone else speaks in order to consider what's been said. They're slow and patient to give advice. And if someone gives him advice, he will heed it It doesn't mean that he'll always take the advice, but he will consider it knowing that he does not know everything. And so a humble person desires to heed wisdom from others, but a person who is wise in their own eyes needs no wisdom from others. So that's the fourth. And the fifth here in point E is unrighteous. Flip over in Proverbs to chapter 16, verse 2. Solomon says this, he says, all the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. That's a stunning statement. That's a stunning statement. That should make us tremble, honestly. All the ways of a man are right in his own eyes. We think we're doing the right thing, don't we? We always think we're doing the right thing, but God looks inside of us Our thoughts are screamed in heaven. He sees motives that we are even unwilling to admit are inside of our own hearts. God looks inside and sees those things and he puts them in the scales and he weighs your motives for why you do what you do. That word there that's used for clean, that that word in verse two, all the ways of a man are clean in his own sight. That's a word that's used for olive oil in Hebrew. It's pure, clear olive oil. All the impurities are out of it. And everything to us seems like it lacks purity. To a proud person, our, our decisions are all clean, like pure olive oil. And, God, and Solomon says, but God knows what's actually happening there. He sees all of the impurities that are inside our hearts. He sees evil motives and unrighteous actions. And so even good actions on the outside, if they're done in pride, are unrighteous. And Solomon is saying that a person who thinks they always know what is best is generally in danger of sinning. (laughs) What will happen? If if we think we're right in our own eyes, what will happen? We will not fear the Lord and turn away from evil, as Solomon says in Proverbs 3.7. We will not turn from evil. We will only think of ourselves and we will sin against God. A person who is wise in their own eyes will fall into evil because they are filled with self-deception and pride and they will eventually produce sin in their lives. They've turned away from a fear of God and in conceit they've refused to turn from unrighteousness. So what are the marks of a person who's wise in their own eyes? They're unbiblical, they don't listen to the Bible, they're opinionated where they ought not to be, they're obstinate, they dig their heels in in stubbornness, they're self-willed in their decisions and they're unrighteous in their life. Listen, friends, all of us do this. If you're sitting there and you're thinking, whew, I'm free, (laughs) we're not. None of us is, right? All of us fail in this. All of us do this. Uh, For me, I can play the pastor card, right? I'm a pastor, after all. I'm an elder here at FBC. Certainly I'm right. That's so dangerous, isn't it? Any thinking that isn't biblical is wrong, For those of us who are older, we can begin to think, you know, I've lived some time on the earth and I must be right about some things, right? Listen to me. And we can sort of refuse or reject the wisdom of those who are younger than us, and how foolish to do that. And for those who are younger, younger people, what can they think? They can think, we're not like those old fuddy-duddies, they didn't know how to do it, right? We're young, we know the best way to go forward, and we can think that we're wise in our own eyes. For dads, we can respond authoritatively and be Difficult to appeal to. We can just be stiff and not flexible. And for moms, there can be a sense of entitled expectation. It should be this way. For kids, even, there can be a deep seated arrogance against parents and against authorities and about how you view the world. You can dig your heels in and say that you are better. All of us can stumble, all of us can sin in this. Every single person here does. And so how do we fight this? I don't want to be this type of person. And remember what Solomon said in Proverbs 26. He said, there's more hope for a fool than one who is wise in their own eyes. Like, friends, we do not want to be this way. So how do we fight this? That's the question. And this is point three on your outline, battling conceit. Now, Obviously, as with all areas of pride, we cannot win the war against conceit by the flesh. If we think we're not wise in our own eyes, we'll congratulate ourselves, and there we are, wise in our own eyes. So how do we fight this? Look with me at point A, arting conceit. Now, if you have any, for you to know what that means, you have to have been here for a little bit. <laughs> But ART, A-R-T-T, is an acronym for how to fight sin. And and we talked a few weeks back about how the Bible teaches us how to fight sin and that there's four steps to that. What I want to do is take this issue of pride, of of self-righteous conceit, and I want to push it through that grid of battling this sin. There's four pieces to it. The first is to admit. The second is to remember. The third is to turn. And the fourth is to thank. That's how we get ART. Admit, remember, turn, and thank. And so when it comes to the sin of being wise in our own eyes, what's the first thing that we have to do? First thing that we have to do in point one here is admit that we're tempted. Admit that we're tempted. We have to admit that we have an issue in this. We have a tendency to think of ourselves as wise, and we have a tendency to be unwilling to heed the counsel of other people. This is in all of us. We have this tendency in us. We need to remember that we are prone to pride and arrogance, that the natural bent of our flesh, of our actual flesh, is to be proud, and that it takes the Spirit of God to turn us from pride, if we're going to turn away from proud thoughts. And if you say, well, that that doesn't make me feel good, you're in good company. Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, what did he say? He said, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh to keep me from exalting myself. What did Paul know about himself? He knew that he was prone to pride. He knew that he was in danger at all times of thinking proud thoughts, of thinking that he was right and not being willing to listen to the counsel and wisdom of other people. He knew that it would be easy for him to use the apostle card and say, I've been to heaven. Have you been to heaven? Why are you questioning my decisions then? Paul knew that that was a potential in his heart. And so he said, to keep me from acting that way, God humbled me. We need to admit that we are tempted to this. Obviously, God is growing all of us and we're moving toward humility as we walk with him. And it's not wrong to acknowledge God's grace and how he's grown each of us. I think all of us are growing, we're moving toward that. But we need to be cautious, don't we? As long as we are in our earthly bodies, we need to be cautious people about sin. Why? There's an old Scottish pastor named Robert Murray McShane. You probably have heard his name because he created a read through the Bible in a year plan and we, it's on our Bible Monday emails that we send out. Robert Murray McShane, he once said this. He said, my heart is like gunpowder. It's like gunpowder. When my heart is damp with the spirit, I am harmless. But when my heart is dry, I am explosive. What's he saying? As long as I'm walking in the spirit, I'm safe, right? If I'm walking in the spirit, I'm safe. But you remove me from that. You let me live in sinfulness. If you let me walk in the flesh, Lord, I am explosive, I will do all the things that my sinful flesh wants me to do. And so we need to start by admitting and confessing the sin to God. The second step, point two, is that we need to remember the gospel. We need to remember the gospel. Once we've admitted that we have a problem, our next step is to remember the power of Christ in our lives. We need to remember the power of Christ in us. We need to remember that we are already forgiven through the shed blood of Christ. Listen, if you're sitting here and you're convicted and you think to yourself, you know, I am those things. I may not say them on the outside, but on the inside, I'm all five of those things. I struggle with all of those. I'm, I'm a failure in these things. Listen, the worst thing you can do is try to functionally atone for your own sins. That is the worst thing you can do is to say, okay, then I'm gonna get myself back on my feet, right? I'm gonna get back into God's good graces. I'm gonna do what it takes to be back in the good place I was beforehand. I'm gonna rely on myself to change this. That is the worst thing you could possibly think at this moment. Listen, we need to remember the gospel. What's the good news The good news is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save people who are wise in their own eyes. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners like me. If He came into the world to save sinners like me, that's my hope. It's not what I can do, the hope is what He has already done for me. You know, Jesus was never proud. Do you know that? Jesus was never proud. He was never wise in his own eyes. And of all the people that had the right to be wise in his own eyes, Jesus is number one. And he was never proud. He was never wise in his own eyes. In fact, flip over to the book of John real quick and look with me there. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Look at verse 28 with me. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. I am God. He isn't there. When you lift up the Son of Man, when you crucify me, you will know that I am God. And then look what he says. And I do nothing on my own initiative. Isn't that amazing? He's God. He does nothing on his own initiative. And then he says this. He says, I speak these things as the Father taught me. He never was wise in his own eyes. He always spoke God's wisdom to everyone. That's what he was always doing is speaking what the Father taught him. Look over in chapter 12, he says the same thing. Chapter 12, look at verse 49. Actually, let's start in verse 48, 47. Let's start there. <laughs> If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me does not receive my sayings and, and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative. That's a a stunning statement. The, The divine word, he says, I didn't speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. Isn't that remarkable? He was never wise in his own eyes. He never was proud as he ought not to have been. He was always perfectly humble. And at the end of that life of perfect humility, he died on a cross for your sins of pride. He took your moments of proud obstinacy. He took your moments of unbiblical unrighteousness. He took your moments of selfish ambition onto himself. And he died for you. And then he took his perfect life of humility and he placed it on you. So that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you as proud. He sees you as perfect. But death could not hold him. He rose from the dead, didn't he? And where is he now? He's in heaven praying for us. And listen to this he dwells inside of you, he is in you. You have the power to fight this sin of pride because Christ lives in you. The one who never sinned is inside of you, empowering you to turn from that sin and to reject pride. You have the power to obey these commands. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Paul doesn't say, I know you can't. He gives the command. Why? Because we can do this. We can turn from this sin. And that is point three, turn from sin. Listen, by God's grace and in worship and in love for him, turn from your pride. Turn from conceit. Peter says, 1 Peter 5, 5, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. If you couldn't humble yourself, he wouldn't have said that. How do we humble ourselves? Not by doing it in our own flesh, but by reminding ourselves of the death of Jesus for us so that we are humbled by him. Refuse to think of yourself as wise. And listen, if you catch yourself thinking proud thoughts, what should you do? Repent. Repent to him. Tell him, Lord, please forgive me. I'm sinned against you. I'm not wise and I need your wisdom. Direct me in what is right. I want to give you three, hopefully, helpful things to do here. Three ways to help you turn from this sin. The first one is to seek out evaluation. Now this, this you have to be prepared for. Go to people who love you, people who have authority over you, and ask them, do you think I'm wise in my own eyes? And then, like, flex, because it's going to (laughs) hurt. Be ready, because what will they say? Probably, yes, (laughs) because all of us struggle with this and be willing to hear them. They love you, right? Go to your spouse, go to your kids, go to your leaders and ask them, ask them to see this, to help you. Seek out this evaluation. Why? Because unless we know it, we won't turn from it. We have to see the sin before we turn from the sin. And so seek out evaluation. Second, seek accountability and prayer. Confess your sin to others, particularly, I think, people in your care group. Ask them to help you. Ask them to hold you accountable. Ask them to help you to guard your heart and to turn from this sin by the power of God. Ask them to pray for your soul because you know that you are proud. Seek out accountability in prayer. And third, seek counsel. Seek counsel. It's interesting. One of the quickest ways to avoid being right in your own eyes is to seek counsel from other people. Go to them and ask for advice. Just seek out from seek out counsel to, from those who are wise, who are around you. Pro, Proverbs eleven fourteen. Solomon said, "Where there's no guidance, a people falls, but in abundance of counselors, there is safety. There is safety." Solomon tells us that seeking out counsel is seeking wisdom. In other words, what you're turning from your sin of pride, because you're looking for someone who can help you to understand. So we need to turn from our sin. So we need to admit that we have a problem, we need to remember the death of Christ in our place, and we need to turn from our sin by his power through worship. And fourth, thank God. (laughs) Thank God. Why? Why do we have to thank God? Because if there's any growth in humility in any one of us, it's not us, is it? There's not a single humble person here apart from the power of the Spirit, is there? Every one of us is proud, and so when we change, even in small ways, and we move toward humility, that is God's work in us, and therefore it is something that he should be thanked for, and it's something that he should get all the glory for, isn't it? Ultimately, our humility is born in our hearts through his power, and therefore it's for his glory. So when you've turned from the sin, rejoice and thank God for the work he's done in you. So we need to art this sin. (laughs) Kill it. Kill the sin. Paul commands it. We can do it by the power of Christ. But we must admit that it's not in us apart from him. And we need to rely on his power to change us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, Lord, we don't want to be wise in our own eyes. Lord, there's more hope for a fool than for one who is wise in their own eyes. And Lord, we do not want to be that. Lord, we don't want to be that, not only for pragmatic reasons because of the suffering that that will bring, but Lord, we don't want to be that because it doesn't honor you. Lord, when we're proud, we... We hurt your reputation, not only ours. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to fear you and to turn from evil, Lord, by remembering that you are a God who offers forgiveness in the cross. Lord, to reverence you because you are holy and you sent your holy son to die for our sins. Lord, the one who was never proud, was always humble. Lord, I pray that you would help us to admit our weakness in this area, Lord, to remember him and to fight this sin. Lord, ultimately we pray these things for the glory of your name. In Christ's name we pray, amen.